Welcome to the How to Be Awesome at Your Job podcast, the show where brilliant professionals share how to sharpen the universal skills required to flourish at work. Enjoy more career fun, wins, meaning, and money with your host, Pete Mikaitis. Hello, and thanks so much for joining us here for episode 214 with Molly Beck. Boy, if you have any sorts of fears or poor associations to the word networking, Molly makes it so fun, easy, approachable, benchmarked. It's a great conversation. I think this could be game-changing for you. So you're going to learn, one, two components required to become an influencer, two, the four types of reach-outs with benchmark response rates, and three, how to make awesome subject lines that get more email responses. So if you'd like to check out the show notes or the transcript or the links to items that we reference here, you can find that on over at awesomeatyourjob.com slash ep214. Now, here is Molly's story. Uh, Molly is the founder of podcast creation site Messy Bun, the creator of the lifestyle blog Smart, Pretty, and Awkward, and a marketing expert who has provided digital strategies for numerous companies, including Forbes, Venmo, Rice University, and Hearst. Her work has been featured in the Boston Globe, Red Book, Parade, HuffPost, and more. She's represented by CAA. Here's Molly. Molly, thanks so much for joining us here on the How to Be Awesome at Your Job podcast. Thank you so much for having me, Pete. I'm very excited about this. Oh, I'm excited too. And, and so, you know, one fun thing I learned about you is, as I was getting ready for this is you were in fact an intern at Goldman Sachs during the 2008 hullabaloo. What was all that like? <laughs> oh man, Pete, that was a really crazy experience. Okay. So let me take you back to the junior year of college. I'm a finance major. This Goldman internship is like the thing to get. Everybody's talking about it. I get the on-campus interview. I'm like prepping like a maniac. It was right around the time that song Apple Bottom Jeans was really popular. And the boots with the fruit. So Yes, exactly. Yes, yes, so whenever I'm hearing this song, I'm like taken back to this moment. I'm like reading the Wall Street Journal because I had heard this rumor that at the interview, they ask you, what is the headline of the journal today? Like, I'm just prepping like a maniac for this whole thing. I get the call that I got the internship. I moved to New York. I just feel like my dad is so proud. I'm feeling like my life is really coming together. Now I'm on a special sort of internship that was six months long. So it goes from like, I think it was July of my junior year up until December of my senior year. So I'm there over the summer. There's other interns. The other interns leave, go back to school. It's just really me and probably one other guy as the interns on our team. We're on the FIC team, so fixed income currency commodities. And like September of that year is where everything just starts like really sort of going down. The markets are sort of obliterated. And I felt like I was just such a fly on the wall to this experience where I'm working at Goldman, but I'm just an intern. So I know I'm going back to school, but yet everybody around me, like this is their life and they're worried about layoffs. And, you know, it was just one of those things that I felt like I will never be in touch so close to history again. And I, two memories at that time would be the first is that my parents were on this fishing trip, like off the coast of Alaska or something ridiculous. But every night, I guess they would get some sort of cell service and call me and I would give them the updates on like Lehman's gone under or like the markets are down this much. And it was like such a, I feel like I was a little reporter to my parents. Mm -hmm. And then the other thing is that 
the Goldman building that I was working at, like the lipstick building in New York. And um, right next to us was a bunch of other financial institutions. And I remember they were doing like sort of immediate layoffs in like September, October of that year. And I remember taking the subway home one night and I must have gotten on at the same time as other people. And they all had those like classic cardboard boxes with Mm. the plants in them. And I was like, yes, exactly. And it was such a weird time. But yeah, it's like my little piece of history. So that was my Goldman thing. And long story short, I don't think finance was really the right place for me. And so while I was there, I started this blog because I was like, hey, I don't think finance is going to be the long-term goal for me. And then starting that blog really changed my whole life. So even though that Goldman internship was a highlight, it really sort of led to the blog, which ended up being a better thing long-term. Mm-hmm. As everything in life does, you think you hit the highest peak and then it's like, nope, something else. Yeah, that is wild. So thank you for sharing that. And, and you're right. It is uniquely interesting that you get to very low stakes <laughs> just sort of uh, watch the world burn around you I, well, I guess i'm just sort of curious like did that experience spark any just like sense of conviction for you and anything like you said oh, finance isn't for me but was it like i will never do this or make sure to always do that i think that sort of intense experience can give rise to those sorts of internal vows or convictions did that surface any of that for you you know it really did actually. What it made me feel like was that I never wanted to be dependent on a company as my only source of income. Mm. And it really made me start thinking about ways that I could always, even if I was working for someone else, have a way to earn income outside of that. Because especially some of the people I were working with had worked in these financial institutions for a very long time. Their jobs were super specialized and all consuming. And Goldman did not have layoffs. So I was there not in any sort of big, meaningful way, but that was a big worry and concern. And I remember thinking if 20 years from now, this is my only way that I earn money and I have kids and a family and I can only do this one very specific thing. And then the markets get rid of that. I'm really in trouble. So it always made me wanted to be a little bit of a hustler on the side, sort of the side hustle before side hustle was a term. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Now it's, it's the cool thing to say. Yeah, exactly. Like if you don't have a side hustle, you feel like you're not one of the cool kids. <laughs> I know. I said the word side hustle to someone, my in-laws a couple of months ago, and they had never heard that before. Mm-hmm. And they thought I invented the term side hustle. And I had to be like, no, I'm sorry. Like it's actually other people say it too. Well, I guess it's better that they give you credit for CB yeah, cool exactly. as opposed to, oh my, are, are, is this prostitution? <laughs> Dear Molly, I don't know if this is wise. I think that they were concerned, but then I explained my side hustle. Okay. Like just, a, just a blog, nothing too scandalous. It's, it's illegal and safe. It is fully allowed by law. Yes, exactly. Well, so speaking of, I don't know if you count this your side hustle, your main hustle right now, but you got a book mm-hmm. and I'm digging it. It's called Reach Out. What's the skinny on this? So Reach Out is sort of around the idea is if you want to be an influencer in your space, there's sort of two components to that. You got to do great work and you have to have people know about that great work. And Reach Out is hyper-focused on that second part of that statement. How do you have people know about the great work you're doing? The book is written for people that really want to get out there more and meet more people, but maybe are hesitant to sort of do the networking circuit or they don't want to have these business cards handing them out to random people down the street. So the book walks you through in a very measured, very tangible way how to create a plan to meet more people. And I call that plan sort of the reach out strategy. And that's what the book expands on. Mm -hmm. Okay. Well, so can you 
share with us, you know, you offered those two pillars, you know, do great mm-hmm. work and people need to know you're doing great work. Can you expand a little bit on the why of the yeah, second pillar? Of like, wh- why is that so essential that the world know? Won't uh, the world find out in due time when you really need them to know? Mm-hmm. That's a good question. So I think about this a lot is that opportunities can come to you through other people. You know, other people are the ones sort of holding these keys to your career dreams. One of my dreams is that someday I want to be in a morning talk show. That opportunity is not just going to show up one day on my front stoop with like a suitcase. Hey, I'm here. You can be on a morning talk show. It's going to be a person that says, Hey, who should we have on the show? Oh, I know Molly Beck. And that's a person that either I need to be directly connected to, or I need to be a secondary connection to. If opportunities are islands or people in your network are those bridges that help you get to those islands faster, which is something I think about a lot. Do you want to be in the water sort of drowning by yourself or do you want to be walking on a bridge to get to these islands? Yeah, I like these metaphors. When you say morning talk show, I'm thinking, well, well, hey, this podcast releases really early in the morning. And so, so maybe we just need to, we just got to perk it up a little bit, Molly. So you're going to let us know. I will tell you, I feel like we have sort of a good dynamic. Are we Katie Kirk? And well, like what's happening here? I'll, I'll take either role and be pleased with it. Well, cool. So we got the islands, we got the connections, the keys. That's what, what makes it happen. So then let's talk a little bit about some of the how there. Mm-hmm. I mean, yeah. I think a lot of folks, they say, you know, just doing my own job takes maybe about mm-hmm. all the time, the effort, the energy, that attention I, I can muster on top of just trying to stay fit and tend to my family and friends. So help us out. How do we get a good return on that effort? Great question. So sort of the core tenet of reach out strategy is sending one message, whether that's an email or a social media message to one person sort of on the edge of your network every single workday. So let's sort of unpack that. What does that mean? So thinking about the edge of your network, there is a lot of power in thinking about people that you have met loosely in real life, that are acquaintances who you knew really well in the past, that are friends and friends. Those connections are the edge of your network. I think a lot of times when people hear about reach out strategy, they think that you are sort of spamming famous people hoping to get a response. Mm -hmm. Is it cool if you email the CEO of J.Crew and he writes back? Yes. Is it likely that they'll have sort of the time or the interest in helping you beyond just saying, hey, thanks for the email? Probably not. So you want to think about people that are really on that edge that would recognize your name, would recognize a mutual friend's name, and then feel some sort of interest or obligation or have the time to maybe engage with you. So that's the edge of your network. You also want to think about reaching out to someone, sending one message every single workday, no exceptions. You want to make it a habit. Just look at the math on this. If you reach out to one new person every weekday, one year from today, the day that you are listening to this podcast, you will have made contact with 260 people. And even if only like, let's say you have a 40% response rate, by the end of the year, you'll have started real conversations with 104 people who you have handpicked in being very important or valuable towards your goals. So if you're worried that you don't have the time or you don't have the space for networking or going to these parties after work or missing your kid's bedtime because you're at this cocktail hour, Reach Out Strategy is made for you. It's about eight to 10 minutes every day, or you can write all five emails for the week on Sunday night, you know, spend 40, 45 minutes doing that. And your networking is done. And you have started these conversations with these people that can really be impactful. Think about knowing 104 more people in a year 
think of the opportunities, the projects, just the enjoyable conversations you will have that you wouldn't have if you don't do this type of strategy. All right. So intriguing. Now, 40%, that sounded kind of precise. Do you have Mm -hmm. some benchmark data here? I do have some benchmark data here. So there's four different kinds of reach outs that you can do. And each of those reach outs have a different type of response rate in terms of what you can sort of expect. So let's start with the RERO. The RERO and RO in these instances stands for reach out. So the RERO is reaching out to someone you already know from the past or someone you know currently, but not terribly well. So this could be an old professor. This could be your neighbor who lives down the street that you sort of loosely say hello to when you're walking your dog at 5 a.m. These are people that are sort of close to you. So this is going to have probably around an 80% response rate on average. Then as we go down the next row to the follow-up RO, this is going to be someone that you've met recently in passing in real life. Classic example, you're at a conference, you exchange business cards, you have a five-minute conversation. You're going to get a 60% response rate when you're talking to someone like this. They are probably going to recognize your name. You're going to call out the conference you met at or whatever event it was in the subject line, and you met recently enough that you're probably top of mind. Then you go down one more rung to the borrowed connection RO. This is a friend of a friend or someone that says, hey, you should really know this person. They're in a similar space. They're looking for this. You can help each other with this. This is going to get around, this is the one that really sort of varies actually on the strength of the connector and how interested the connect, the person that you're reaching out to is in sort of meeting you. So this can vary sort of widely from almost a zero response. If, you know, if my grandfather says, oh, hey, my CEO could want to meet you, you know, at the company I work at, maybe the CEO has less of an interest where if it's someone that is connecting you to someone on your level, or there's a little bit more of a strong connection there, you're going to have a higher response rate. And then the lowest one, like at the very edge, this is sort of left field of your network, not even in your network anymore, is the cool RO. This is like a classic cold email. There's going to be no direct connection. And that's going to be around the 20% response rate. And these numbers are sort of over time looking at sort of like I did a statistical analysis because I've been reaching out for seven or eight years now and thinking about how would I divide up mine? And then that's where these numbers are pulled from. Yeah. You know, it's interesting. I had a chat with someone who similarly kept great stats on his reach out efforts to total strangers. Like, hey, we're both in a LinkedIn group, you know, not much yeah. connection. No. Really. And had a huge LinkedIn group, not uh, the one that you know, has close intimacy and a fostered community there. And sure enough, he took tremendous records and he was also seeing even better than 20% of response rate on total strangers. And I thought that was just striking. Okay, so that is so awesome. So that is someone that I would love to meet. So if you introduce me to this person via email, and if this person thinks highly of you, Pete, they're like, hey, I love Pete, I love his recommendations, they're more likely to respond because they know that you're vouching for him. So that borrowed connection RO has a higher likelihood of succeeding because hopefully they enjoy you and trust your recommendations. If they think less of you, less likely they're going to care about meeting someone you recommended. I did them wrong. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> we met for coffee. I gave advice that stunk. <laughs> never... <laughs> exactly. It won't work out again. Okay, so very intriguing. All right, so now that's really cool to have that benchmark data. And I think that's really reassuring for folks who might think, yeah, oh my gosh, no one really wants to do this. This is a waste of their time. I don't want to irritate or aggravate them. But these are pretty healthy rates. And mm-hmm. so then I'm curious, what does a message sound like when you're reaching out? That's a good question. And I wanted to just elaborate on one thing. These are healthy rates, but they're not 100%. Right. Not every email, even someone super successful. I have people in this book that are CEOs. Even they are not getting 100% response rate. So if you send one email three years ago to someone that you thought you might 
like want to be your mentor on LinkedIn and they never responded, Mm -hmm. this is not a reason to write off networking altogether. Like that is just a normal thing that sometimes people don't respond to your emails and you move on. So I wanted to get that out there. But what do you actually say in the message? Great question. So you're going to want to start with the classic, like making your subject line awesome. If this is an email, your subject line needs to grab their attention. Ideally, it's going to be something that's not generic. So you're going to want to stay away from quick question or hello. And then the biggest one that you're going to want to stay away from, this is such a pet peeve of mine, when you use the word urgent in the subject line. Oh boy. This is not an urgent situation. You don't work with them closely or they're not directly related to your life. Using the word urgent just shows such a lack of respect for their time in their inbox. So you're going to make that subject line, call out your connection, call out where you met them. If you have something in common, you know, oh, hey, we both went to Hamilton when I'm high, something that's sort of unique and will grab their eye. Then you're going to use a really simple greeting, use the most formal version of the person's name. So is that Dr. Beck? Is that something that is like sort of formal? You're not going to say, hey, mall dolls, the first time you email me, maybe like the seventh, but not the first. And then you're going to introduce yourself and give a really short bio This bio is going to be not necessarily what you're doing now, but what is related to the reason you're reaching out for them. So if you currently work at YouTube doing business development, but you want to move into coding, you're not going to have your bio say, hey, I work at YouTube, I do business development, and also can you give me some advice on coding camps to go to? That doesn't really make sense. You're going to want to focus on, hey, I have been interested in coding for a long time. I've started doing it. Like Make that bio more specific and shows them why you're reaching out to them specifically. Then we get into the gift and the favor. So the gift is the most important thing in your entire email. Your gift is going to be something that is really unique to the person that you're sending it to and shows them that this is not just a forum email. You're not blanket emailing the entirety of a school. Like This is very specific to them. So you're going to first have a compliment, and this is a must. The compliment is going to be not just like if you're reaching out to an author, hey, I really liked your book. It's going to be, hey, I really liked your book because of this, and this impacted my life because of this. It's going to be a genuine compliment on their work, whether that work is what they do in finance or marketing or writing a book or whatever it is. Then you're also going to include one of four more additional gifts. So let's go through them. The first one is going to be an article or book recommendation they might enjoy. The second is going to be knowledge that you have access to that they don't or something special only you can create. So that's going to be if you have like a plus one to an event that they would like to attend. If you have an opportunity for them that you have a sort of a special like you're an author and you have a book and you want to give them an advanced copy of a book, something special that only you or you and a very small group of people have access to. That's a nice thing to offer someone. The third is going to be a press opportunity. So do you have a blog, a podcast? Do you have a column that you want to interview them for or feature them on? And then the fifth is going to be free advice on a skill you have or something that would benefit them. So again, that's going to start with a compliment, a very unique compliment, and then one additional gift that is something special and shows them that they're important to you. The easiest one on those lists is going to be an article or book recommendation, but the other ones can also be similarly a way to open up sort of a line of communication. I'm a bit curious about the free advice. I think that sounds like potentially the riskiest one. Like, who are you and uh, why do you think I care about your point of view just yet? So can you give us an example of some pieces of advice that are appropriate and appreciated at this stage of the relationship? Yeah, absolutely. So free advice would work well if you talk to them in real life and they mentioned 
you know, we're really trying to figure out how to crack AdWords or, you know, I'm really looking for a new job and I'm stressed about doing my resume. Or if you follow them online and they put out a tweet that says, hey, I'm looking for recommendations of restaurants in Cleveland and you live in Cleveland and no restaurants. Something that you assume from what they've told you would benefit them, that you can offer them. It's a little presumptuous if you are, let's say, I don't know, an expert in Facebook ads and you see that they run Facebook ads, but their Facebook ads are crappy. Being like, hey, I would love to give you advice on your Facebook ads. You know, they sort of suck. That's not probably the right way to go about doing it. But, you know, keeping it being very transparent that the advice is for free and that you specialize in it and you're a little bit of an expert in the area and you would love to offer it for them is a way to do it without being super pushy. All right. Well, so I'm wondering then, so you you got the gift that's established Mm -hmm. then. And so then we're moving into the... Favor. Yeah, the favor. So every email you send does not actually have to have a request in it. Reach out email can just be a way to open up a line of communication with someone that you think down the road you might have a question for them or that you just really want to compliment them and offer your help. However, if you do have a favor, you want to make sure that your question that you're asking them is something really specific to their expertise, is not something that you can Google and is sort of a contained question. You should be able to ask the favor within a sentence. If you have multiple parts to it, or you have like way too many, I don't know, I guess moving parts to the question, it's not a good favor. Instead of saying, hey, how do I start a business? You're gonna wanna say, hey, what's one tip for building an audience online? Do you really kill it online? What would be your one main tip? Sort of keep it contained. Having a number is a way to keep it contained. Mm -hmm. After that, you're just gonna do your closing, add your email signature. Email signature is super underutilized. People click links and email signatures way more than you think they would. So tailor that email signature to what you want them to highlight. So if you wrote a blog post that you think is very impressive, add that to your email signature. If you have a huge following on Instagram, add your Instagram handle. You want to sort of tailor that email signature as a way to add additional value without necessarily throwing it in their face. Finally, you're going to double check to make sure your links work, make sure everything's spelled correctly, add their email address. You're going to add their email address at the very end because if you add it at the beginning, you could accidentally send the email too early. And then you just... I know everyone's done that. I've done that too. And then you're just going to press send and you're done. Okay. That's good. That's good. Now I'm intrigued then. It sounds like these conversations, that eight to 10 minutes is just the reaching out part. And so mm-hmm. then the back and forth conversations that could get really, really fun. What's tricky for me yeah. as I imagine myself doing this is like, I would have so much fun talking to so many interesting people about so many interesting things. Mm-hmm. I think it might just sort of eat my calendar alive. So how do you recommend sort of balancing and managing your time Mm -hmm. and your inbox as this unfolds? Well, you know, if you're only doing one a day, most people do not email you back that quickly, especially if your question is more evergreen, non-urgent. I think it's relatively likely that if you send five, like you, Pete, send five in a week, I think maybe three of them would get a response that same day. You definitely have time in your calendar to have a little back and forth with them. And remember that it's not necessarily that you're asking a favor every single time. You could just be sending over a compliment. You read a great book. The book really impacted how you're running your business and you want to tell the author that. That's not necessarily worthy of a huge back and forth. And if it is, I think you're going to be excited and going to want to create space for that in your calendar instead of thinking of it as a chore. This is someone that you have handpicked to be part of your network. These are not random people. This is someone that you've admired or you want to work with more or that you just think is doing cool things. Okay, got it. 
And so I know you have some perspective on your book when it comes to the management of inbox. Uh, what are your mm-hmm. thoughts there? So I interviewed a lot of people for the book on how they manage their inbox. I got so many different answers. I mean, some people were just very diligent. I interviewed one person that said that she tries to respond to every email she gets within 10 seconds. Mm-hmm. I know 10 seconds. So almost treating it like a text message. I interviewed some people who said that they star emails and anything that's not directly urgent, they wait till answer till Friday. Sort of the best practices that I sort of aggregating all these different conversations would be something that I do that works well for me also is that sort of treating your inbox like a business and having it be hours that you're on top of emails and you're answering them very quickly. And then the rest of the time, unless something is truly on fire, waiting till the next day. So I always think of my inbox as sort of like the business hours that it's open. It's going to be nine to six East Coast hours. So if an email comes in at 9 p.m. West Coast time or 9 p.m. East Coast time, I'm going to wait till the next day to respond to it. Similarly, if I'm answering emails on a Saturday afternoon or at 2 a.m. or at sort of a non-business hour, I always schedule them in Boomerang to go out on the sort of like the next business day at a normal hour. I feel like it's sort of rude to be emailing someone with something that's not urgent on a Saturday afternoon or Sunday afternoon, like let people have their off time and give them sort of space to respond when it's a business hour. You don't need to be sending these crazy emails at 4am and waking someone up because you have like a tiny question that you want them to help you with. And that's an intriguing perspective there. And I guess you're right. Everyone has their own perspective and philosophy. What's your philosophy? Yeah, I'd be really interested. How do you manage your inbox? I imagine you get a ton of email. Well, I do. And I don't know if I've got the answer right now. What's intriguing is I feel obligations to some emails and not at all to others. Hmm. And I guess that's normal for everybody. Like I'd say every listener of the podcast, I feel beholden to and grateful for. So, hey, thank you, listeners. And (laughs) so I do uh, have it sort of as a standard to reply to all those messages. Now, I'm behind at the moment that we're conversing and I feel it, you know, in my conscience and my psyche, it's just there. But I know that that I will be replying to them and that it will happen. But I think a lot of other times I'd say with maybe it's a publicist's a pitching, which has been happening more mm-hmm. and more, which is, is, is a really cool problem to have, I suppose. Generally, I don't feel obligated to respond to an email from anybody I don't know, like an under 36 hours. Mm-hmm. So I guess it's intriguing how the standards we set for ourselves and what's appropriate, what's inappropriate. And some of it's sort of like absolutely necessary. Like I think about lawyers and their law partners. It's like you need to give them what they want promptly. You can't say, mm-hmm. I do emails between 9 a.m. and 10.30 a.m. and 4 p.m. Yeah. and 5 p.m. And that is all partner. Like, I don't think that's really going to fly there. But at other times, if you're doing a lot of, think Cal Newport, you know, deep work in writing or coding and creating, mm-hmm. it's like you will be at a disadvantage if you are frequently kind of interrupting your flow to hit the inbox. And so I'm still not perfectly resolved on the matter, but I'm generally all about replying to people who have important slash urgent things to say in a prompt fashion. And it seems like I'm always just ever so slightly behind on the treadmill. I think all of us always feel like we're slightly behind on the treadmill. And you know, something that you said that I wanted to touch on was that when publicists email you, you feel less of a sort of obligation to respond. I occasionally get the publicist emails too. And I would reckon that both you and I feel less of an obligation to respond because 
they're probably not super tailored That's to true. us. They're more of a form email. They don't say, hey, I really love the podcast episode with XYZ. It really made me think about blah, blah, blah. I am guessing if you got a publicist email that was super tailored to you and what you speak and write and talk about, that you would respond faster than these form emails that probably go out to 27 million people. Oh, that's true. And, and it's so intriguing how one of it says, says, call for coverage. Pittsburgh Institute of Aeronautics marks completion of 1.3 million expansion of Youngstown campus. <laughs> well, nice job. Well, hey, hey, I guess they got. Is their... that a real email that you got? <laughs> it is. Wait, I got an email today about Pittsburgh too from a publicist. <laughs> I am laughing so hard. I wonder if well, it's, you know, it's so email. funny. I I'll guess learn. she got her coverage because we're covering. Hey, Wednesday, true. September twentieth at ten thirty a.m. is the ribbon cutting. Everybody, <laughs> wait, this is hilarious. That is the email I got, and I remember thinking I got it. I don't know, maybe four hours ago. I remember thinking, why would she be pitching me this? I don't live anywhere near Pittsburgh. That is hilarious. Oh, this okay. is funny. Well, hey, coverage accomplished, I suppose. Although this will air later than September twentieth, which is my birthday fun fact yeah is it really thank Happy you birthday. it's a ribbon cutting for pittsburgh institute of aeronautics and it's my birthday and it's sometime in the past <laughs> <laughs> for when this so airs funny. well here's the thing what i've learned is that they're using the scission database mm-hmm. and then sometimes people really customize it and then sometimes they don't so yeah that's the email game another point of I'd love your input on is I think for different kind of people and professions, the importance of their network, I would say varies if you agree or disagree with that. I think for some people, their networking is absolutely life or death money or impoverishment. And for other people, their network is sort of a healthy sort of ongoing asset that they're just going to need to cultivate over the long term, just as you cultivate, say, your health or your financial well-being. Yeah, yeah, I I agree with that. I think that there are some fields, media, marketing, writing, podcasting, and sort of some types of working arrangements, if you work for yourself, if you're a freelancer, that we sort of more frequently associate with building a network or reaching out or that really matters. I would encourage you, though, to sort of think about networking as not just for people in those sort of very specific fields. You know, an example that I think about a lot is if you're a doctor, um, yes, it makes sense to be sort of, you know, having a good relationship with your coworkers, to be sort of building a network inside the medical community. But if you want to be labeled an expert doctor, not only do you have to be sort of exposing yourself to new techniques or studies by going to conferences, You also need to be making an effort to meet with members of other practices, other sort of hospital administrations, and then also thinking about other arenas, publishing, politics that might be looking for the perspective of a medical professional and sort of doing those things will not only increase your network, but it will really raise your profile. It labels you an expert doctor, not only within sort of your specific hospital or your specific department, but also sort of the world at large, you know, thinking about your network beyond just sort of the constraints, even if you're not in one of those sort of more fluid fields. Mm -hmm. And that really will open up opportunities, whether that's for speaking at events or consulting on certain projects. Or just more patients. I mean, if you're a doctor, you're probably your ROI, I would imagine, is how many patients are you getting? If you're out there speaking at conferences and meeting new people and you have a very specific sort of vertical that you specialize in, that's how you're going to get new patients. That's how you're going to write those journal articles. I don't know a ton about being a doctor, but I would imagine all of these things would be important Mm -hmm. to them. Well, Molly, tell me, is there anything else you want to make sure to mention before we shift gears and hear some about your favorite things. No, I don't think so. 
Can you share with us a favorite yeah. quote, something you find inspiring? You know, it's a quote that I've always really loved. It's by Cheryl Strait, and it's, uh, your book has a birthday. You don't know what it is yet. And I, it's obviously sort of uniquely thinking about it right now because I have a book coming out, but I have thought about this quote for so long. Lots of things in my life have birthdays, and I don't know what they are yet. I don't know what will be the day that I get that call from the morning show. I don't know what the day will be that I figure out that my book has done really great. I don't know so many things that are yet to come. And I like the idea that right now, the day that we're recording this podcast is just sort of a normal day in 2017. But next year, this could be the birthday of something that's so amazing that I can't even think about yet. So I sort of like that idea. Oh, thank you. And how about a favorite book? I really love The Defining Decade by Meg Jay. I'm not in my 20s anymore, but it was very impactful for me in my 20s. And when people ask for book recommendations, I always think of that book. It was a really nice summation of how to really rock your 20s. Oh, thank you. And how about a favorite tool? LinkedIn Premium. I think the ability to message other people that you're not connected to on LinkedIn is pretty important. Yes, it's so powerful, as well as all, all sort of the deep information and the advanced search possibilities. Yeah. And, uh, yeah. <laughs> I, I'm so spoiled. Yeah. When I see other people's LinkedIn, it's like, oh, oh, you can't do all the things that I <laughs> love to do. <laughs> yes, I totally agree. I try not selling an ad for LinkedIn Premium because I talk about it all the time, but I really do love that service. And how about a favorite habit? Mm, you got to make your bed. Your whole day is just better if you're making your bed. Okay. And is there a particular nugget you share that tends to really get retweeted, shared, connecting and resonating with folks? Well, I guess, you know, the whole reason I have this book deal for Reach Out is that I wrote an article about how I put RO on my calendar every single day and how RO, which is short for Reach Out, sort of changed my life. So at this exact moment, I would say reach out is something that really has resonated with people. I would also say that something that someone told me once that I think about all the time is that you meet the same people on your way up as you do going down. So you don't want to be a jerk because you might think that your star is rising right now, but Mm -hmm. stars have to come down. So don't be a jerk. That's true. Just for your own sake and just for the sake of those around you and just the happiness of humanity as a whole. It's just no good for anybody. Yeah, totally agree. And if folks want to learn more or get in touch, Molly, where would you point them? I'm Miss Molly Beck on all social platforms. That's M-S-M-O-L-L-Y. B-E-C-K on all social, Instagram, Facebook, everywhere. And do you have a final challenge or call to action you'd issue to folks seeking to be awesome at their jobs? Yes. If there is someone that you've always thought would be so helpful for you to meet as you sort of get and move towards those professional goals, but you've always been too nervous to contact them, there is no time like the present. I would encourage you right now to open up an email and reach out to them. You never know what could come of it. Beautiful. Well, Molly, this has been so fun. I am pretty sure I will be referring back to the skeletal script or outline that you have shared here when it comes to doing more uh, reaching out and with less sort of stress or anxiety or consternation, like, hey, I can do this in eight to 10 minutes and it's all good. Well, thank you, Pete. You know, I love your show so much and this has been so wonderful to be on it. So thank you. I got such a kick out of the way Molly took the time to benchmark those response rates. And I would, I guess, because I love data. But even more so, I think it creates just a powerful sense of encouragement. If you've ever been a little bit thinking like, oh, I don't want to inconvenience anyone. I don't want to be a hassle. I don't want to bother them or interrupt them. Any number of excuses you're making internally for not engaging in some of those reach outs. I mean, the odds are pretty strong that even someone who you regard as just amazing or out of reach uh, could quite possibly 
totally be willing to reply right back and engage in some discussion. Even if you have zero previous connection or connecting relationship between you, I find that very inspiring and exciting and hopeful. So I hope you dug that and other tidbits from Molly. And again, if you want to check out the show notes or the transcript or the links to items that we referenced, that's on over at awesomeatyourjob.com slash ep214. And I hope you'll push subscribe so you hear from folks like our next guest. It's Ann Bogle. We are talking about different personality types and systems for those personality types. What we dig, what we don't dig, what can be learned, what is too much to try to learn from such systems. So I hope to catch you there. Peace. Thanks for joining us for today's episode. To get the most out of this conversation, visit awesomeatyourjob.com to find today's show notes, transcript, and infographic summary cheat sheet. For more entertaining professional skill sharpening, be sure to subscribe to catch the next episode of How to Be Awesome at Your Job. 